Thank you, choir. Let us pray together. Almighty God, who through the obedience and single-mindedness of your servants, John and Charles Wesley, drew thousands of your children to a knowledge of your saving grace and to the healing fellowship of your church and kingdom, grant to us, their descendants, in the gospel, the will, the faith, the love to serve this our generation, that together with all your saints on earth and in heaven, we may be brought to fullness of life through Christ our Lord, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If I was to ask you who was the best teacher for you, I wonder who you'd say. It might be a teacher from school, it might be a parent or a grandparent, perhaps a Sunday school teacher or someone in a completely different context. Who's been that patient mentor for you or simply an inspiration for you in some respect? I'd probably mention Mrs. Pye, uh, an inspiring geography teacher that I had when I was in secondary school and I found exams particularly difficult. Uh, she managed, willed me, I think, through my exams and was very patient with me. And it's unsurprisingly uh, her subject that I got a grade A in first when I was at school. So I was very pleased with Mrs. Pye. Or I could mention David and Susan Clark. They were my uh, equivalent to YPF uh, teachers, and they changed my life, really, through their generous hospitality when I was a teenager with Francis, and we were uh, around together at that time, bringing the relevance of the Bible alive for me and for other young people. I think I've mentioned David and Susan. And how we need to value and encourage positive role models today, those who are perhaps influential teachers for good in these days. And we need to learn from them as well. It's interesting to say, what could we learn from those people you've just thought about? For whether we like it or not, people are reading our lives today, seeking love, assurance, hope, inspiration. We might not realize it, but people are reading us as Christians. Let me return to that in just a moment. Many uh, people in the Bible left last words uh, behind them, or a final testament. Think people like Jacob and Moses and David. And today's gospel reading is very similar, because here Jesus leaves his final words. It's part of what we call the farewell disclosure, discourse, sorry, in John's gospel. Words to his disciples the night before he was going to be crucified. And yet we're looking at them through a slightly different lens to the disciples because, of course, we know about his resurrection and ascension. But these were words to his disciples when they didn't know about that yet, hadn't experienced it. And in John, Jesus is addressing his disciples just after he'd predicted Judas's betrayal and before the coming hour of his death. In short, Jesus looks to the past, to all that he'd said and done to make his father known, 
but he also looks to the future to all who will love him and keep his word, to those who will receive the promised spirit in his name. And he does this in quite a dramatic way just before all that was going to happen at Calvary. Firstly, let me read John 14, verse 23. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. The Reverend Canon Professor Richard Burridge, who I knew when he was the dean at King's College in London, is a biblical scholar, and he once said, not only does Jesus prepare a place for us in God, but he also makes a place for God in us. I love those words. Not only does Jesus prepare a place for us in God, in my father's house will be many rooms, you know, that sort of thing, but he also makes a place for God in us. I wonder whether we will make room for God to come alongside us, or have we do we feel we've got it all sewn up as Christians? Do we make room for the Spirit of God to teach us today so that we can become influencers for the kingdom of God? When Jesus has returned to the Father, it's clear that it's the Spirit who will help the disciples on their continuing faith journey. And as we continue our faith journey, the Spirit is vital. John 14, verse 26, Jesus said, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Boy, do we need reminding at times of all that Jesus taught and shared with the disciples. The Holy Spirit is also known as the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. So Jesus, through his spirit, working in our hearts with the breath of God's word, is surely the best teacher of all. Jesus, coming to us by the Holy Spirit, breathing the word of God in our hearts, the best teacher of all. And I'd venture to suggest that if we want to be godly influencers today, we need to be open to a greater work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, our minds, and our lives as well. I wonder if we create that time or allow ourselves to be open to that work. Someone once suggested that the paraclete also means the one who answers God's call. That was true, surely, for Jesus, the one who answered his father's call and then came to us in the spirit. But that's true, surely true as well for us. If the spirit is the teacher or the counselor, the spirit is the one who empowers us to be the ones who answer God's call today. And how is that needed in the world? A world in which war and violence and terrorism, the abuse of power, the destruction of our creation, God's creation, 
We need to be responding to these things in the world. And the world desperately needs peacemakers. But peace is more than the absence of conflict in the world. It's about the shalom, the healing of our God. John 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus brings a different kind of peace. And if today you're feeling anxious or fearful or you're lacking assurance or you're uncertain about the future, that you need direction, you're in good company because John Wesley felt like that, then we need Jesus in our hearts. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in us to give us the wisdom that we need and the assurance that we need. What's more, other people need us to do that so that God's peace may come to them through us. Have you ever heard of the Wesleyan quadrilateral? If you haven't, you're just about to. <laughs> um, it means the theological reflection that was credited to John Wesley. Um, it was a term that was coined in the 20th century by someone called Albert C. Outler. He was uh, an American Methodist. And basically, the Wesleyan quadrilateral suggests that Wesley tended to use four sources when he was reflecting theologically. Scripture, fundamentally, tradition, experience, and reason. Fundamentally, Wesley believed the living core of the Christian faith was revealed through Scripture. The Bible is our supreme, our foundational source, hence Wesley called himself a man of one book. Yet doctrine had to be in keeping with orthodox tradition. And so therefore, he would reflect on that as he thought about scripture. And then Wesley believed that faith is more than just an acknowledgement of ideas. As a practical theologian, he contended that experiential faith formed part of our reflection. So experience was important as well. In other words, if it's true, it should be vivified in the personal Christian experience overall. Not just by one person, but by the experience of the people of God. And finally, every doctrine must be able to be defended rationally. So Wesley never divorced faith from reason. But tradition, experience, reason are always subject to scripture, which is primary, but it needs to be put together. And these are all tools that Wesley believed the Holy Spirit uses in teaching us. In other words, it's not just all about knowledge. It's not all about proof texts. We have to reflect on these things. What is God saying to us in these times? And we know that John Wesley's faith had to move from his head to his heart. He needed an assurance of faith. He knew it all. He knew his scriptures back to front. They had to drop into his heart. Let me uh, ask Francis to read some words from Wesley's journal. Not the bit, just the bit we're familiar with hearing, but a little bit more 
of the context of his heartwarming experience. And as Francis reads, I want you to think about how he was thinking, experiencing, how the scripture was there, and also the tradition of the church. Listen to these words as Francis reads. I think it was about five this morning that I opened my testament on these words. There are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, even that ye shall be partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4. Just as I went out, I opened it again on those words, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 12 verse 34. In the afternoon, I was asked to go to St. Paul's. The anthem was, Out of the deep have I called unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. O let thine ears consider well the voice of my complaint. If thou, Lord, wilt be extreme to mark what is done amiss, O Lord, who may abide it? For there is mercy with thee, therefore shalt thou be feared. O Israel, trust in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his sins. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I began to pray with all my might for those who had, in a more especial manner, despitefully used me and persecuted me. I then testified openly to all there what I now first felt in my heart. But it was not long before the enemy suggested, this cannot be faith, for where is thy joy? Then I was taught that peace and victory over sin are essential to faith in the captain of our salvation. But that, as to the transports of joy that usually attend the beginning of it, especially in those who have mourned deeply, God sometimes giveth, sometimes withholdeth them according to the counsels of his own will. After my return home, I was much buffeted with temptations, but I cried out, and they fled away. They returned again and again. I as often lifted up my eyes, and he sent me help from his holy place. And herein I found the difference between this and my former state chiefly consisted. I was striving, yea, fighting with all my might under the law, as well as under grace. But then I was sometimes, if not often, conquered. Now I was always conqueror. Thursday, May 25th. The moment I awakened... Jesus, Master, was in my heart and in my mouth, and I found all my strength lay in keeping my eye fixed upon him and my soul waiting on him continually. Being again at St. Paul's in the afternoon, I could taste the good word of God in the anthem, which began, My song shall always be of the loving kindness of the Lord. With my mouth will I ever be showing forth thy truth 
from one generation to another. Yet the enemy injected a fear. If thou dost believe, why is there not a more sensible change? I answered that I know not, but this I know. I have now peace with God, and I sin not today, and Jesus my master has forbidden me to take thought for the morrow. We don't often hear the context, do we, of those verses that are so familiar. But notice how the Holy Spirit spoke to John Wesley. Notice how the scriptures, tradition, reason, and his warmed heart experience all came into play. Proof texts alone did not help. Something more was needed. Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit, using the breath of God's word, warmed Wesley's heart, but also renewed his mind and gave him a new way of thinking. So the Bible points us to Jesus. And to know Jesus is to know our loving creator. And in the Bible, we don't have, if you like, an ordnance survey map that gives us every detail of where our life is going to go. But as we read it as a whole, we have a compass that points us in the right direction. And we test everything by the word of God. But we apply our minds, we apply our hearts, we apply the tradition of the church. What's more, Jesus' life is a perfect example of holy obedience to all that, of living out God's word. For he lived the scriptures for us. The American pastor John MacArthur once reminded Christians, you are the only Bible that some unbelievers will ever read. And your life is under scrutiny every day. What do others learn from you? Do they see an accurate picture of your God when they look at you? Because if the scriptures point us to Jesus and we read the scriptures, then the way we live should point to Jesus. Do we only hang out, for example, with people who believe what we believe? Look to Jesus. He was criticized for spending time with the wrong people, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, and the likes. But he went, and he was an influence on those people. He built trust. He built a relationship. He spoke authoritatively. He was a radical influencer, and we can be radical influencers. John and Charles preached too and prayed and sang with the people that the church ignored. To maintain the tradition of the Wesleys, we are called to be ministers to all like them, allowing the best teacher to influence us, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, with the breath of God's word in our hearts. So I close by asking a few questions. What is the guiding force in your life? Are your heart, is your heart cold or warmed by the spirit of Jesus? And what's written on your heart? What comes to the surface when the storms of life come? Amen.